and I can remember several years ago there was uh, some uh, people that struggled with that the words of that when it's all about you Jesus because it's not uh, maybe got a little legalistic thinking about how it's it's about God and, and so he asked me respectfully if I had a problem with that that song and I said not not in the least um, and there's a passage in Colossians about this idea that it's all about Jesus and and uh, I don't have this in my notes here, but I want to read this to you real quick. In Colossians, it talks about, talks about the supremacy of Christ, and it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. And then if you go to um, the Gospel of John, and I've used this passage many times uh, when debating with people that want to knock on the door and talk religion with me. And I said, sure, I'd love to discuss religion with you. Um, and I always go back to this verse that in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us in verse 14. So this idea when it says the Word was with God and the Word was God. So when we say it's all about Jesus, that's a very appropriate, appropriate song to sing, Tree. So um, thanks for getting my heart prepared in worship. That was wonderful. Um, Isaiah 26, last week, I spoke on that verse. Uh, and then that verse caused me to go into this, uh, this entire message on that word peace. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says, we'll start in verse... One, and that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. And then the writer Isaiah prophesies, and he says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. That was the entire message last week was that word, uh, that verse, and then the word peace and shalom and how that interacts with our lives and in our hearts, but it says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Now, a, you know, years and years ago, I always gave the invitation, after the sermon, if you've got some feedback, whether positive or negative, it doesn't matter, let's just talk about it. And so some people take me up on that and others don't. And one of the couples that I, I love talking with the sermon and the scripture about is Stephen Pegwood, because after the sermon, almost inevitably they'll come and say, hey, have you thought about this? Or that was a wonderful sermon, I was encouraged. Or I've never looked at it quite that way, but I'm going to dig into it. And Peg comes after me after the sermon, and she says, I've, this, I've always wondered, I have this question when you look at that scripture, when it says, you will keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. Is the, is the word he, is it referring to God? Because God trusts in mankind? Or is it because he, mankind, trusts in you, God? Is that correct on the, the question? We, you know, it, it's what is, the, what is the he that the writer is referring to? And is it, who is, who is trusting in who here? Is God trusting in man or is man trusting in God? And I thought that was an appropriate question. And that question forced me to get into the scripture. It forced me to study Isaiah 26 a little bit more. It, it forced me to study the words and... As I read it, I realized it, it could go either way. It could read, 
You will keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast, because God trusts in you, mankind. Or it could read, you will keep in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast, because you trust in God. He is keeping you in perfect peace because you trust in God. So I looked at this and I went, okay, one, he, referring to he, is God, and God trusts in us, therefore he will keep us in perfect peace and completeness. And I go, there's got to be some biblical basis for that. There's got to be some biblical, there's got to be some scripture that can get me to understand it that way. And in 2 Chronicles 16.9, don't go there, let me just read it. It says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And I wrote, so he trusts us because he searches and he goes, oh, Ryan's faithfully, he's committed to me, therefore I'm going to strengthen him. I trust him, therefore I'm going to strengthen him. So God has put his trust in Ryan because Ryan is faithful, so I'm going to give him some of my blessings, give him some of my power, give him some of my strength, give him some of my peace because he's faithful. That's the, first, that's the first possibility. The second possibility that he is mankind, meaning that he uh, trusts in you, mankind trusts in God, because our mind is steadfast, because our mind is on God, it's on him, and we trust in him that he's going to bless us with gifts and peace and strength. Because we trust in him, God's going to say, okay, because you're steadfast, because you trust in me, I'm going to give you perfect peace. So there's two possibilities. God trusts in man because we are steadfast on him, and he, God, brings us into perfect peace, or man trusts in God and is steadfast on him, therefore, God brings us perfect peace. Any way you look at this passage, I actually lean towards its, I asked Steve this morning, and we were just kind of dissecting it, and I lean towards the belief that because mankind trusts in you, God. That's the, way I think it's, that's the way I think it reads. But the question was an appropriate question. I think it was a fair question. But anyway, you look at this verse, us trusting in God, us trusting in God is an essential component of God giving us perfect peace. Is that fair? Is that fair to say? Us trusting in God is an essential component of Him giving us perfect peace. If we didn't trust in God, and we weren't steadfast on Him. I mean, you can look at all these scriptures backwards. If we weren't trusting in God, and we weren't steadfast on Him, then it stands to reason that He's not going to bring us in perfect peace, because perfect peace is found in Christ. Perfect peace is found in trusting in Him. Are those fair thoughts that I'm coming up with here? So nobody said no, so that must mean you all agree. You didn't shake your head, but you must all agree. Fair enough. Thank you, Kim. Alright, so as I attempted to dissect this verse, and I attempted to dissect God's intent of this verse, I couldn't help but continue to hear that word, trust. Because man trusts in you, God. And then the very next verse, it says, trust in the Lord forever. Trust in the Lord forever. So I, I went to this, this search of, okay, what does the word trust mean? What is the definition of trust? And it's important to go back to the original Hebrew word, and I don't mean to sound like a theologian, because that I'm not, but I think it's important because there's several words in our vernacular today that what they mean today, they didn't mean 50 years ago or 100 years ago or even 1,500 years ago. If I were to say to one of my baseball players, 
hey, how you doing? And they said, well, I'm gay. You can laugh. It's okay. I'm gay. The other players would go, what? Yeah, I'm happy, man. It's been a great day. It's been an awesome day. I'm gay as a lark. I'm happy as can be. But the word gay a long time ago meant something different a long time ago than it does today. Right? You've heard to say, how are you doing? I'm silly. Well, that word silly used to mean blessed with worthiness. And now it means someone acting in a daft or foolish way. So the word silly is different. The word sharp or quick, that word cute, man, you're so cute, used to mean you were sharp and quick. You were acute. It comes from the word acute. And now it just means like a little puppy. A puppy is cute. I wouldn't say that a puppy is acute or sharp and quick. I would say a puppy is cute and I want to pet it. You see the difference in words? It's so important to go back to the meaning of the words of when it was written. Another one, which I won't use this one. This might be a little inappropriate for the message, considering our uh, audience. But for some of you, ask me later what a housewife used to be called, which now it means disreputable woman. It's kind of a, yeah. Anyway, words change over time, right? So the word <coughs> trust. The word trust in the Hebrew has six different meanings. If you look up Hebrew in a Strong's Concordance, and you'll see there's the word trust, and then there's all these definitions that go along with it. I'm going to read a few definitions. To flee for protection, to make refuge. To be confident or to be sure. To foster as a parent, to be faithful, to build up or support. To have confidence, hope, or refuge. To be expectant, should hope. To wait patiently, sorrow to stay. There's multiple, multiple definitions of the word trust. So if you look up the word trust in Isaiah 26.3, when it talks about uh, that you will keep him uh, in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. That word trust that Isaiah is using there means, the word is, is batak, and it means to be confident or sure, to trust to be bold, confidence, careless, hope. To be bold, to be confident, to be sure, to trust, to have confidence. And I'm like, is there, is there someone in the Bible that had that kind of personality that we can look at in the scriptures that go, yeah, this person had complete trust in God. And if you go to Genesis, and the, the Genesis, the story of Joseph, I think it starts in verse 37. Um, Genesis 37, it talks about Joseph's dreams. Well, we all know the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers because he was bragging about, he was his father's favorite, and he had these dreams, and he had this coat. He was given this coat. So they sell him to some, uh, some people going along in a caravan. Those people sold him to, uh, was it Egypt? Yeah, it was Egypt. They sold him to the Egyptian king, and then his Egyptian king's wife makes a pass at him. And so Joseph, in his being sold twice in slavery, being in prison for falsely being accused of rape, for being in prison, and who knows what goes on in prison, whether he's getting beaten, or whether he's being starved to death, or whatever, all the while, he was trusting in God, and he kept his integrity, and he kept his trust in the Lord. And then we know what happens to Joseph after that. 
Joseph gets brought up into a position and ends up saving his family, saving his brothers when there's famine, and he brings them in. And the entire time that he's going through it, as you read the story of Genesis 37 to 45, you see this man who is following God and trusting God. It's complete confidence, complete hope, and complete assurance that God's promises are true. But the thing about trust is, Justin and I were talking about this morning, trust and faith, are they the same things? People think that I have faith in God. I have faith. I trust God. But what they do is they believe that God exists. There's a difference in believing that God exists and living and acting and walking according to the Word of God. I see some of you shaking your heads because you know people that say, oh, I love God and I trust God and I have faith in God, but you look at their lifestyle and like, you don't believe in anything but yourself. The only thing you believe in is what you want to believe. And I'm not making a judgmental accusation. You can look at the fruits and say, you don't seem to be in perfect peace right now. You don't seem to have this, this comfort, this joy, this love, and this patience, and the peace that, that, that surpasses all understanding. You don't seem to have that. So what is missing? What seems to be missing from the equation? Is it you trusting and walking and living according to the Word of God? Now, the conversation I had with Peg after church last week brought me to the study of trust. And then on Wednesday, we're, a men's Bible study is meeting Wednesday morning at 6.30, and we're talking about covenants. Brian Vandermark's grandmother wrote a paper on the, the covenants that are found in the Scriptures, in the Bible. So what we're doing is we're taking this booklet, there's some in the foyer there, uh, and we take this booklet and we, you know, we open it up and then we, we open the Bible next to it and we're talking about what the word covenant means and some different, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Uh, we mentioned the covenant of salt uh, that's found in the Old Testament that is, is not mentioned and talked about in most places. Uh, the new covenant, the covenant with Jesus. So we're studying this, this word covenant and we're studying the meanings of it and I was reminded of a book that was given to me 15 or 20 years ago, and it's called The Two Covenants by Andrew Murray. So naturally, I'm like, well, I want to be up to speed on covenants. And I looked in my, my little library, and I have actually two copies. If somebody wants to borrow one, I have two copies of this book. I can't loan it to you yet because I'm still reading it and trying to get through it. But um, the third page, the third page of this book, as I'm reading it, the author, Andrew Murray, wrote something that kind of, I'll be honest with you, it convicted me. It, it challenged me. It hit me like somebody just, just smacked me upside the head, and I, I had to sit down, and, you know, not literally, but I just, I, I'm sitting there thinking, what, is he, is he talking to me? Does this have to do with me here? And the, the, the words that he wrote, and it's in the context of, a covenantal relationship with God. Okay? He's, he's going his first chapter, and uh, he does the introduction, and then he begins to talk about the two separate covenants, but he's beginning to see, he starts out with, we have a covenantal God. We have a God that, that, that makes covenants with people. Okay? The covenant of circumcision, the covenant with uh, Moses and the Israelites, Jesus in the New Covenant, the covenant of salt. I mean, there's, there's agreements and covenants throughout the Scriptures, and he's talking about that we have a covenantal God. And what he wrote here was the one secret, and it's based on his understanding of what a covenant is and how God reacts with his people. The one secret of man's happiness 
The one secret of man's happiness was to be a trustful surrender of his whole being to the willing and the working of God. I'm going to read that again. I've read it 50 times, so if I read it two or three times, don't take offense to it. The one secret of man's happiness was to be a trustful, and he's referring to God being a covenantal God, and he's talking about the relationship between God and mankind, human beings. The one secret, all has been considered, and this is my conclusion on page three. The one secret of man's happiness was to be a trustful surrender of his whole being to the willing and the working of God. I'm going to read it another way. You want to be happy? You want to know the secret? Fall under God's will. Fall under the working of God. That's the secret to happiness. That's the secret, according to this guy. And he's basing it off of looking at all the promises that we see in Deuteronomy and all the promises we see to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says, you want to be happy? You want to be joyful? You want to have peace? Come under my covenant, come under my will, come under my desire for your life, and you'll experience happiness. That sounds a little different than you're going to be wealthy. Blessed are the poor. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the poor. Happy are the peacemakers. The secret to happiness is falling under a covenantal relationship with God. So naturally, I, I ask myself, have I fully and trustfully surrendered my whole being to the will of God? Has Nate Porter fully and trustfully, fully surrendered my will for his will, for his will? And because I'm the preacher today, I have to say to you, have you, ask yourself, either today or next month or whenever, have you fully surrendered your will for God's will? If it doesn't smack you a little bit, come talk to me because I want to know the secret. Have you fully surrendered your will and said, okay, God, not my will, but your will? And those are the questions that I ask myself, and I continue to ask myself, because I believe that when we fully trust in Him, that is the secret to true happiness and true peace. I'm going to read a bunch of promises. I mean, I could go through here, but it would take longer, so I, I, I printed them out. I, I typically don't do this, and you notice, but I'm going to read a couple of pages of promises, a couple of pages of God's, this is what God says in His Word. Psalm 37, delight yourself with the Lord, or in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Listen to the promises. Trust in him, and he will act. You guys can have copies of this, I'll make them if you want them. Psalm 910 says, and those who seek your name Put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Do you hear that promise? There is something on our behalf, our responsibility, to seek God. When you play hide-and-seek with a bunch of kids, and one kid goes into the house and sits there and starts playing video games, 
Is he playing hide and seek? No, he is no longer playing this game. He's out of it. And it says here that, that those who put their trust in God, they haven't forsaken God. He hasn't forsaken you. He's going to seek you. Those who seek you. And then he said, oh, I'm sorry, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who seek us, God has not forsaken. Psalm 28, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. In the Lord my heart trusts and I am helped. Proverbs 3, 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The promises from God are constant. That's about four of them. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He says he's going to give you those things, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. There's promises that are given from God to us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Proverbs 3. And do not lean on your own understanding. We'll talk about that a little bit more. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Listen to the promise there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and he will make straight your paths. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water, Jeremiah 17, that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Psalm 112, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Kids, I'm not talking to the adults here. I'm talking to you, Ridge. Uh, Evelyn, I'm talking to Titus and everybody in between you guys, okay? The promises from God is that if you trust in God, if you live your life according to the word of God and the will of God, life's going to be better. Do you want to be happy? Riz, did you like it when you got in a little trouble yesterday? You don't remember, that's good. That's the beautiful thing about kids, it just goes away. But do you like being happy? Do you like being happy? I can't hear you. Do you like being happy? Yeah? Do you like being happy, Titus? Okay. What about you, Lathan? Do you like being happy? Okay. Guys, the scriptures are very clear. Put your trust in God, and that's where happiness resides. That's where happiness resides. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. You keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because He trusts in you. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is one of, or these are a few of multiple, multiple verses. Uh, you know what uh, a, a myriad was? What's a myriad of things? A whole bunch? It used to mean 10,000. That's another word. It was exactly, a myriad was exactly 10,000. And now it, means, now it means a whole bunch. Um, when I am afraid, in Psalm 56, I put my trust in you. Psalm 118, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in a day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. One of the words of trust is taking refuge in him. That's one of the words of trust is refuge. He knows those who take refuge in him. Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend Faithfulness. Become a friend to being faithful. 
Psalm 20, verse 7, two more. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Finally, Psalm 62. Trust in Him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Again, I ask, who wants peace and joy and happiness? I do. And some of us may be going, you know what? It's too hard. I don't want to put my... I still have the way I want to do things. I'm still going to hold on to whatever I'm going to hold to. I'm not going to look in the Scripture. I'm not going to look in the Word of God. And I'm not going to listen and obey to what it says because it's too difficult. It's too painful. The things I have to think about are too hard. I don't want to put my trust in Him. I've heard people say, I don't want to think positively. Because they're in so much pain in here and there's a small lack of faith that needs to be twisted over to say, no, I have faith in God. I trust in Him. I need to figure out do I need to fix my eyes on Him or not. It's a human phenomenon. We do that sometimes. We sometimes think that we know better than God knows. If that weren't true, then I don't think we'd have as many issues as we do in the church and in mankind. The downfall of mankind is that we think we know better than God to achieve the happiness that we all desire. That's the downfall. There's a scripture that says, the man who desires to get rich pierces himself with many griefs. The man who desires to get rich pierces himself with many griefs. Many griefs. Okay? Uh, been there. I'm not going to lie. I've been there. There's the promise. You desire to get rich. You desire to make a bunch of money. You desire a bunch of wealth. I'm going to give you some problems. You're going to have some griefs. Here's a promise. Don't make that your desire. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I mean, we have a, a, a rapper that says, more money, more problems. And we, you know, we laugh at it because it's a, it's a, a rapper that says that. More money, more problems. The Bible says it. You desire to get rich, you're going to pierce yourself in many griefs. I'll give you an example. Buy a trailer park. Because it's got good cash flow. You're focused on, where are we going this cash flow? I'm not saying it's evil. I'm just saying, look at the cash flow we're going to get here. And then you're going to get put in court. You're going to get drugged to court. You're going to get drugged to collections. You're going to go have to fix a leaky faucet at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday because somebody's trailer is flooding. I'm telling you, the man who desires to get rich pierces himself with the many griefs. But I know better than God. I'm going to focus on money. What are some other things? Uh, raise up your children in the way you should go, and when, when they're old, they will not depart from it. Or raise them up in the nurture and admission of the Lord. He who withholds discipline hates his son. Yeah, but I read this book, and it says that we need to reason with kids, not discipline kids, because we don't want to hurt their spirit. God says, withhold discipline, you hate your child. Okay? But we're going to reason by reading this book that says, now we shouldn't discipline them, we should reason with them. We think we know better than God. I see some of the older people shaking their head. We think we know better than God, and we don't. We don't know better than God. We don't know better than the Creator. So when He says, you want to be in perfect happiness... Get in my will. What other areas in life do we do that? Do we do that when it comes to salvation? I know God's word says this, but 
I understand it a little bit better. I had a different experience. I know it says this, but I, I, I think differently. Or how about our opinions? How about us being yoked with people that aren't believers? How about church attendance? Oh, now I'm getting personal. <laughs> the Bible says, get together. Have an assembly. Hang out. Spend time together. Fellowship together. Well, I get my relationship with God in the mountains or on the river or uh, in the ocean. That's where I get my relationship with God. That's great. That's a good addition to motorcycling. It's like, I have my talk time with God. Awesome. I have my talk time with God on a mountain bike or when I'm hunting and I'm chasing an elk. That's when I can sit down and talk to God and be completely clear. But that doesn't dismiss us from the other promises that he gives us about fellowshipping together. My point being is that there's areas in our life when we look at the scripture and we go, yeah, but I know better. But I know better. I'm going to do it differently. And when you look again in Isaiah, and we all say that we want to have this perfect peace, right? We want to have this perfect peace. And what does it say in Isaiah 26? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. You trust that what God is saying is true. You trust him when he says, do not forsake the assembly. You go, okay, I'm going to trust that that's what God wants from me, is to not forsake the assembly. When he says, discipline your children. Okay, I'm going to trust that what he's saying about discipline is accurate. When he's saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, I'm going to trust that I'm going to seek first his kingdom because God knows what's best for me. And guys, I've had, I've had so many conversations over the last 20 years with people that I have, I have a, the name of a gentleman here that 15 years ago I was church friends with. He was a young guy who was wanting to start a business. And I'm like, well, you know, I've, I've started a business about five years ago. It's been going pretty well. I got my counsel from this guy, and I got my counsel from this guy, and this guy, and they're all successful businessmen. And this is what, you know, but my dad told me, when you start a business, don't go buy, don't take out a ton of money and borrow it and, and buy a bunch of tools and hoping that it works out. Every week you get a paycheck, don't go out to dinner, buy a sawzall, buy a grinder, buy a set of bags. Slowly build up your business and then grow your business that way. And like, so I've listened to guys who've seen it done and have done it, and I'm going to take counsel from them. And I would, it would blow my mind when they'd say, yeah, you know, I get that, I understand that, but... I know I'm only 23. I know I've never started my own business, and I know the people you're talking to me have, but those are, those are old dated practices. I'm going to do it my way. And we do that the same thing spiritually. Like, I'm going to do it my way. I know it says trust in the Lord. I know it says seek first, primarily. The first thing you should seek is his righteousness. I know it says that, but I'm going to do other things first, and then if there's time... I'll seek righteousness. And that's not what I'm seeing. I'm not seeing that in Scripture. And don't hear me saying that, uh, insinuating that I don't struggle at times, that I don't think I'm the smartest guy in the room. I'll confess to you. Not all the time. Not in this room, certainly. But there are times I'm like, I'm the smartest guy in the room. And that's, a, that's a, a pride thing that I need to step back and go, no, I can learn something from him. I can learn something from her. I'm going to be quiet for a second. And that's the Spirit saying, hey, I'm going to give you counsel. Because the Bible says there is, without counsel, 
plans will fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And so I'm not saying I don't struggle with some of the same things. But one thing I can tell you very clearly is when I'm sitting and talking to someone who understands, whether it be business, who understands finances, who understands spiritual growth, who's been in the church a long time, when they talk, I'm taking mental notes. And I'm not seeing I can do it better. I'm going, wow, it worked for that guy. I'm going to pay attention. And we're talking about a God who has been around for how long? Forever? Forever. Forever. Been around forever. And he's saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek that first. That's the very first thing you should seek. Isaiah 26, 3, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. I wrote here, I was halfway thinking there was going to be someone that was going to show up today uh, and he was going to go, man, I felt like you were preaching right at me and I was going to say, well, I was. <laughs> I had you in mind when I preached this sermon. He's not here today. Therese knows who I'm talking about. Uh, I expected him here, but then the other... 90% of me didn't expect him here. But a few questions I have at the end here is, what does it mean to be happy? What does that mean? Are there times or periods in your life or extending periods, I mean, when you were just not happy? When you just weren't filled with perfect peace? Absolutely. There's, I, could raise, I could raise a hand just like all of you could. And ask yourself, in those times when you were not in peace, how is your relationship with God? This is what I asked a gentleman a couple days ago. I went over to see him who's struggling with life a lot right now. And he says, I have faith in God. I trust in God. I said, really? That's good to hear. When's the last time you fellowshiped with a group of believers? When's the last time you went to church? When's the last time you cracked open your Bible? When's the last time you got on your hands and knees and said, God, show me where I need to repent? When's the last time you did that? He said, if I'm being honest, it's been about two years. How's your peace? Do you think there's a correlation between the two? 100%. 100%. And so there's two lives that I think each one of you have. There's two lives that I have, that I could have. The first life is that we live independent of God's will. We do things our way, and we occasionally invite God in to be a part of it. Occasionally. And then there's the other life that we can live that I believe God has in store for each one of us. This isn't one of those health and wealth gospel sermons. This isn't one of those going, hey, you know, your best life now. Okay, I'm just saying there's another life or a life that each one of us has that God has ordained. And he's, he's ready for you to live it. I believe that 100%. But I believe that that second life is contingent on our minds being steadfast on Him. And I know, and trusting in Him. And trusting in Him means taking His word, taking His counsel, and saying, yes, Lord. That's the direction I'm going to go. I'm going to go this way because you say so. I may not understand it. I may not like it right now. It may not feel good. It may not feel right. But this is, I'm going to struggle with this, Lord, but okay, because you say it, because I've sought you out in prayer, because I've sought you out in counsel, 
Because I've sought you out in your word, that's what I'm going to do because I trust in you. And when you trust in him, he promises, he promises that he will keep you in perfect peace. Isn't that an am- I mean, you've got two, we've all got two options. The first option we've got is pretty much do what we want to do independent of God's will. And occasionally, you know, 80% of us is given to God. 75% of us is given to God. 95% is given to God. But that 5% that we're keeping away from God, I believe keeps us from being in perfect peace. And I'm not up here as being judgmental and saying, you, you, you. I could, I could point to myself. And you guys know me and know what I preach and know what I believe and talk to me. You know I struggle. You know I've got issues. We all got issues. Right? But that doesn't mean that each one of us is personally responsible for seeking God and repenting and saying, God, I need some help here. Again, Dennis, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Right? I believe in you, God. I trust in you, God. But there's a small area of my life that just doesn't... I'm going to hold on to that one. And I think when we do that, we, we don't have that life that God is saying, I've got this, I'm molding you perfectly. And I do think it's a, a maturity thing and it happens over time. But the potter is working the clay and he's saying, I've got something for you that is so amazing, that is so awesome, and I know it, but I need you to be on board with it. I need you to do it the way my covenant says. Which is, I'm going to say this is the way it is, accept it, do it, live it, and you'll see the results. That's the, that's the thing I see with God. Um, that true joy, true peace, true happiness. It comes from trusting in Him. And I see the promises constantly throughout Scripture. I read like 2% of the ones that I sifted through, not quite, but I mean it was just one after another, after another, after another of these promises from God. <laughs> I think one of the reasons, back to the... Um, the Matt Stedman song trees is some people have read the Sermon on the Mount and when they say, well, we can't say it's all about you, Jesus. We can't say that. And they'll go back to the Sermon on the Mount. And they'll read the Sermon on the Mount and we all know the Sermon on the Mount. We all know the, the prayer that God says, this sin is how you should pray. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So Jesus is praying to the Father, teaching his disciples how to pray. Now it says that we should pray without ceasing. So should we repeat this prayer constantly? No, because that goes against other scriptures, right? Tell them your thoughts and your thanksgiving. And I mean, it goes against other scriptures throughout the Bible. But this says here, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is teaching us to ask God that your will be done. Your will be done. Your desire be done in my life. And that's really the basis of trust. It's trusting that God, we're saying, God, I don't, what's that passage I read about fear when it comes to promise? It says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. It doesn't say you're never going to be afraid. It says, when I am afraid, I'm going to put my trust in you. And I can point to 
times in my life and I'm like, I'm fearful right now. I'm fearful for business. I'm fearful for... Whatever it is, I'm fearful. And then I go, wait a second. Why do I need to fear? I don't need to fear. I need to trust. And all that stuff just seems to clear out. It's all going to be okay. God's in charge. God's got me. That's all I have. Today. Ryan, do you have communion? Who has communion this morning? Well, 